0: Good afternoon and welcome to Lifebox Media Channel Radio Podcast. Today it's our esteemed pleasure to have on. He's an author, he's a storyteller, he's a podcast host for profiling evil. He's Mike King. How are you today? I'm
1: doing great. How are you doing,
0: Doc? Very good, very good. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. How, how's things holding up, man?
1: Oh, you know what? It's, it's getting hot here in the West, but I'll tell you, um, life is good to all of us, isn't it?
0: absolutely absolutely you yeah, know working it through and everything else so how's your beer been man you know now, you know i know obviously have you been super busy because of the podcast and because of your writing and keeping up on all these trial things and everything else is basically was your life overly affected beyond the normal you know
1: uh, my, my life was affected professionally um, only because i live in an airplane for my day job and I haven't been on a plane since uh, COVID began. I'm going to start flying soon, but uh, I looked at that and I took an opportunity. And I thought, you know what? Now's the time to do a couple things: the podcast that my kids have been after me to do, getting the book finished that I spent 30 years, you know, grinding through. And uh, and so it's been a great year for me, actually.
0: That's. I'm happy to hear that, man. Now, let me ask you a question. You know, how do you get into uh, you know, the profiling aspect and all of those things because, you know, it, it takes a curious cat and a different kind of guy to kind of get into those things I mean, and it's very fascinating and you see it on TV and everything else, but where, where, where did it start for you?
1: Well, you know, after I did the Zion Society investigation I was hired by the Utah legislature and the Utah Attorney General to look at polygamy and ritual crime, and if you think back to the early 90s. It was kind of the satanic panic era, and uh, everybody was saying that every crime included some Satanism, and so they, the legislature, just dumped a ton of money into a team of investigators that I had the privilege of working with and leading. And along the way, I met the FBI profilers who uh, took me under their wing, and they taught me this art and science.
0: I'll tell you, and it, it, I'll tell you what—you can go down some really dark roads with this. You know, kind of had my dabble in some of these things, and and and, and it really—how do you handle that part of keeping your own sanity?
1: You know, for for me personally, it was a matter of being able to lean on my personal faith. I had to to reach out to my clergy initially uh, when I was doing the Zion Society investigation. The fact that you're looking at thousands and thousands of counts of sexual abuse against children really starts to weigh heavily on your, your mind. And so I had to figure out that real sweet spot between bearing the burdens as the investigator and the advocate for a victim and realizing I can't carry their pain.
0: That's a fine line to walk, my friend. You know, I, I I've sit there and said this, you know. And in Tennessee, we have a big uh, you know, trial going on right now uh, with a family about killing a young, uh, killing a little baby, basically. And and I and I won't give them any more promo you know publicity than that, but it, it's just, uh, it's it's crazy to think, you know. You know, I was like, man, I, you know what? I've had enough. You know, I kind of watched a bit of it, you know, and I was like, yeah, I had enough. So that I love the fact that, you know you kind of leaned on your faith, which was a big deal with me too, and I like that. But you know, is that what is that kind of what made you focus that you were doing more good than 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 you were wearing, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And the, and the fact that you know these people, many times they they don't have an advocate, they don't have somebody that's cheering for them, right. that's fighting from their corner, and so you actually get to step up. And go against the bad guy, especially when it comes to a child, and, and stand up and say, this, this dog ain't hunting any longer, right. and you're going to pay the price and be responsible for what you've done.
0: Yeah, that, that's kind of, you know, that, that's kind of as bad as it gets when you talk about children and babies and that kind of thing, you know, as it is. So did it just kind of fuel your fire more as you just started to kind of knock down some of these gremlins, so to speak, some of these devils, so to speak? Did it just kind of fuel your fire more?
1: You know, what it, what it taught me was that, uh, again, with like when that satanic panic stuff was going on, we, we get so hung up in the weeds about some of this stuff, and we get so worried about what word was said. And my uh, response always to, to investigators that I worked with was, let's focus on what we have that we know, the elements of crimes. Was a child abused physically, sexually, or emotionally? Was an adult uh, sexually or physically abused? Those are things that we can really quantify then when we get to trial, we can bring in the things like they were telling me that uh, you know if you don't if you tell anyone I'm gonna I'm gonna kill your puppy or I'm going or Satan's gonna hate you and throw you into hell or whatever else we can, we can show the aggravation that comes from these manipulative personality types. But let's focus on the elements of the crime and let's prove that the offense happened, and then worry about how egregious it was because of what they used to control the child or the adult.
0: Right now, is there any one, and I'm 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 gonna say this very uh, skillfully. Is there any one that you sit there and said, you know what, this is one that uh, really is over the top, and I'm glad the sob kind of took the took the shellacking that he did.
1: You know, I, I had a uh, seven-week-old uh, baby named Ian Wing who was murdered. Eventually, we were able to prove it was his. Step his father that did it. But the thing that was so intriguing about that case is it had gone through three different police agencies before it came to our unit at the Attorney General's office. And and as we profiled that individual and looked at the behavior in combination with the physical evidence, the, the eyewitness accounts and other things, um, when we finally pulled that together, uh, this little this little baby had so many broken ribs and so many fractures, and uh, and you know never had the chance to even even speak a word, and, and so that was really gratifying to know that you stood up for someone that didn't even have, that frankly leaned on the person who killed it to, to care for him.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have mind having a couple minutes in a dark alley with that person myself. Uh <laughs> I mean, you know, and a good thought ways of saying, and I mean that, you know, I mean that exactly as I mean it. Um, you know, that's just I'm 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 happy that you had something to do with uh kind of putting the boots to somebody like that, man. That's that's uh congratulations to you and your team and all all the people that had something to do with that. That's uh man, that's 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 a heavy pill to swallow. That's like swallowing a football to me. <laughs>
1: Well, it's pretty amazing what police officers are doing every day, and the last couple of years have been pretty hard on them, and that's part of what we wanted to do is remind the public that these things affect police officers emotionally. They have to deal with them, but that's their job. They're out there to protect and serve, and there are clearly mistakes that have been made, but 99.9% of them are out there every single day believing that mantra of protect and serve.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, there's and then there's bad eggs in every job. You know, every job there's bad eggs. You know, I mean, you, you don't show me a job that didn't have a bad egg in it or two. But I mean, you know, but the majority of the guys going out there are trying to, you know, go to work and go home to their families or whatever it is, and the mistakes they make or whatever, they're going to make mistakes. But you know, there's a lot of a lot a of lot, a lot of tons of really good police officers out there that are busting their butt every day and just wanting to go home to you know their family or whatever, and uh, trying to do the best they can, You know, for sure. Now now is there is there any time and I don't want you to say the particular deal, there's any time where you sit there and said, Man, I'm a hundred percent positive that this guy's the bad guy and he wasn't?
1: You know what? I, I have personally not experienced that. And and I think one of the reasons why is that a good investigator won't make a decision based on one form of evidence. You know, I saw an eyewitness that said he was the guy. Right. Or um, or something like that, a confession even. What What a good investigator does is he looks at a case and he includes as many of the forms of evidence as he can and has those collaborating and corroborating each other. So when you see a fingerprint, you know, that's, that's a great sign. And then you have an eyewitness who says, I saw Bob at the grocery store when the robbery occurred. And then you have him saying, well, yeah, the suspect, I was at the grocery store, but I was just picking up milk, and I would never do anything mean like that. <laughs> and when you bring all those things together, that's when you get solid cases that um, that you can feel confident in taking to a district attorney and saying, can we charge this person with the crime? When when you see something that's done on just one form of evidence, that gets a little spooky, but, but most times I don't see that happening.
0: Right, I got you. I understand that. Is there anything, you know, were, were you one of these kids growing up that, like, watched the Cops and Robbers shows? And the, the, the I don't know how old you are, my friend. I mean, I, I'm 56, so, you know, I mean, did, is, is that what kind of got you? that you watching the old school TV shows or were you reading novels? Or what, what was your deal that got you involved <laughs> in this? You know what? A-
1: abs- absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a few years older than you, but we're, we're from the same uh, cloth and in, in I think we had nearly the same scissors. Uh, I grew up wa- watching, you know, One Atom Twelve yep. and and listening to Friday. Uh, I, I I went through my own experiences of having a little bit of a misspent youth, and I was really lucky because a Salt Lake County deputy and a Salt Lake City police officer lived near me, and those two, uh, I was a, a you know home without a dad, and those two took me under their wings, and they kind of kind of took me around and showed me and taught me and became role models that I wanted to follow. But then as I matured through the business, you know, know, I mean, how can you turn down, like, Ponch and John from Chips or or Starsky and Hutch? And actually, a few days ago, I uh, had uh, Michael Paul Grazer from uh, from Starsky and Hutch on the show with me, and we were laughing about some of those old shows and, and talking about what he did as an actor and what I did as a cop, and we just had a blast comparing the two of them.
0: Oh, I love Paul Michael Glazer. I love I love him and David Soul, without a doubt. Like, you know, and I grew up with him too, and watching that hot Torino go around the corner was badass to us. You know, I mean,
1: <laughs> the, yeah. who didn't want the the striped tomato? I mean, right, think exactly, about when we were exactly. kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, man. That that was the coolest thing I've ever. Seeing around to come around the corner, you know, and um, and 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 it's funny you say that. You know, you and I used you closer to me from the scissors because you know, raised by a single mom before it was popular or a sport, also. You know, I I dig that. Amazing, and my mom's still my hero. I get to talk to her about it every other day, and I love it. So I, I appreciate that as as well. Um, you know, it's funny though. Coming into this though, and you know, when you grow up and you kind of get into those things, did when you when you decided all of a sudden you wanted to get into this field, did you have any idea then that you'd be doing what you're doing now?
1: Oh no, no way! In fact, I had this life mission goal of making $30,000 a year. I thought I'd be the richest guy on the planet (laughs) if I hit that dollar level. And back when I started in law enforcement, we still had single bubble uh, lights on the top. Oh, uh, the bubble gum machine was a single,
0: single bubble gum machine. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, and when you were a rookie, you know, the first time you were in a high-speed chase and you were trying to hold on to the microphone, you wrapped that mic cord around the steering wheel a couple of times and nearly crashed into a tree because you can't get the car <laughs> unraveled. Uh, but but no, I I never thought I would uh, experience the things I've I've been able to do and to investigate and talk to Serial predators that that are the biggest names in horrendous kinds of things and, and learn from them about the behaviors and the way they selected victims and the things that they did to be successful, never would have imagined it.
0: You know, and, and I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna t- uh, get onto that in a second. But hey, man, you know, you look at 30 grand a year as us being kids, that was like a million dollars, first of all. Oh, you're not kidding. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and uh, even in the 80s and 90s, looking at 30 grand, you go, wow, man, hey, that looked like some nice chicken. You could have you know? bought a lot of eight track tapes with that, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> right on, brother, right on. You're, you're not kidding. You know, uh, and, that, and that's true. But I mean, you look at it, and that was that was big dreams for big kids like you know, growing up, man, you all know, $30,000 a year. Holy smokes, you know, you'd you you you'd be the wealthiest of the wealthiest. then. you'd be Howard Hughes back then, you know, according in our yeah, minds. Exactly. You know? I mean, but now, you know, you talk <laughs> about this, talking to these, uh, you know, and I'm playing this slightly on, you know, because that's how I am. So, I mean, you know, but it, it's just talking to some of these cats and what motivates them. It's, you know, I mean, you look at the Dahmers and the Gacy's and these, these, people think of serial killers and people like this as being, you know, that, that, that they're the uh, hunchback standing around the corner waiting. And some of these guys are charming, educated, you know, good-looking cats that just, you know, you wouldn't expect it from them. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Oh, no, you're absolutely right. When you interview neighbors of serial killers, they'll say that guy was the nicest guy on the street. He would He's the one that would jump my car when my battery was dead. Or he would bring me chicken soup if he heard I was sick. And, and they have no idea this this devil that's living inside. And uh, I, I just remember one experience when I was talking with Richard Ramirez, the, the night stalker. Right. And I was actually um, discussing the victim selection process of a predator. But I remember we went in to have a little bit of prison lasagna at San Quentin. And, and I uh, pointed farming. at the table and I...
0: Sounds totally. yeah doesn't that sound great
1: no candles though because you never know what they'll do with them but uh but the guy said i said to the guy hey richard you know have a seat and he said oh no i insist you sit and i said no no really have a seat and and then he started to change his personality and he said no you sit first and so i am uh, sat so that i could let him be the teacher and I become the student, but you learn so much about personalities when you're in some of these experiments, and, and even the slightest interactions start to unveil what the monster is inside.
0: You know what? Uh, was was there, uh, you know, it, it's my shot say is was there a holy shit moment standing there that you were like, damn, you know, this, just uh, here I am, you know, sitting a couple of feet away from the Night Stalker or, or any one of the people you've interviewed, or or did you see that it just registered to you okay I'll play that game and I'll switch pages in your mind and so that he kind of gives you that trust but before you, before you kind of adjusted that part was there that holy shit moment oh you know, I think I think
1: back I was uh, working with uh, uh my buddy Greg Cooper who is a former FBI profiler and unit chief we were doing a study for the Department of Justice on serial killers whose preferential victim is elderly women so that's kind of a wacky little niche and we were interviewing a number of offenders across the country we were up near the finger lakes in new york and uh, we were at a prison there interviewing this offender who was talking about the, the way in which he would select his victims and then murder him and there was a moment where he looked at us And I just got that real sense that there was an evaluation process going on right then. And so, you know, at that moment, you you just think to yourself, now am I prepared if something were to go wrong? And, of course, you're in a prison setting and there are guards close by, but we see prisoners who are murdered in prisons all the time. And and in most cases, we would would have an inmate shackled to the floor, before we would have that interview, but in this particular case, we were having very intimate discussions in a room, and, uh, and and so you do have that moment where you kind of think, okay, now am I am I keeping in focus everything that's going on, or am I getting tunnel vision?
0: Right. Yeah. Is this the brightest job selection I've ever made in my life, or not?
1: <laughs> exactly. I have to tell you, there was one time uh, there was a uh, killer named. Uh, Ron and Dan Lafferty, who were religious nuts, and they ended up uh, slitting the throats of their daughter or sister in law and her daughter. And they did this all under the guise that God wanted them to do that. There was a great book written uh, called Under the Banner of Heaven by Krakow about this story. But I was working during the appeal process and in interviewing this offender. And uh, he was a chiropractor by trade before he became a religious nut and then. Uh, went to prison for the rest of his life. And I remember in this interview, I kind of stretched my back and kind of twisted my neck a little bit because it was stiff. And he said to me, I can adjust your spine if you want while you're here. (laughs) And and I said, uh, I said, you know, I might look stupid, but the last thing I'm going to do is let you get a hold of my neck to straighten me out.
0: (laughs) that's got to be one of the funniest damn things I've ever heard in my life. And in, in, in the way, I sense I'm <laughs> saying that, but like, yeah, let me get, let me give you my neck for a minute. It might be the last damn time he grabs somebody, but you know, <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's, it's fine now. Suddenly I'm healed. You know, <laughs> I'm good. <you> know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that is great. I think, I, I think that's going to be one of my, one of my buy spots of the stories in this one. That is fantastic. I mean, you know, but, but it shows you that, see that that's, and, and honestly, you know, did, you know, sometimes you think, well, maybe he was legitimately being nice, or he's sitting there going, hmm, yeah, maybe I could twist his head off and play basketball with it, you know. You, you know
1: you, yeah, mean, you don't want to be the part of the fantasy that they've been thinking about since they've been locked up, do you?
0: No, I don't I don't want to do that. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that evaluation of which way he's doing that, You know, which way he's thinking that is. And even if he's being nice, I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm all right. My back doesn't hurt that bad no more, you know what I mean, you know. <laughs> That that is something, but you never. That's what I'm saying is that people, like you said, that you you know what we were talking about. You think that all of a sudden you got the guy that's the hunchback hiding in the corner, or that you know, I mean, and you know, as they say, you know, from what we've learned, hell, even Jack the Ripper was supposedly pretty charming and educated, you know. Yeah.
1: So- got to think about the fact that they're successful for a reason. And it isn't just because they're dragging somebody into the bushes. They they are charismatic to the point that they can get a person in a vulnerable situation. And I, you know, I really like to talk about that a lot, about the fact that we have more power as human beings to uh, preserve our own level of risk than we think we do. And And when we think about how people become victimized, While they never deserve to be victimized, the choices they make, the locations they go, the people they hang out with are all things that either increase their risk or mitigate their risk of being victimized. And, and so we can do so much more, even as simple as a, a college student saying, hey, it's 10 o'clock at night, I'm getting out of class, it's dark, my car's in an area that's not lit by lights, maybe I'll call campus police to escort me instead of saying, oh, I'm feeling silly, I'll just walk across the parking lot. We can do a lot to really help ourselves.
0: I, I agree, and, and, I, and I like that, you know, and, 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 that, and that's a great point, you know, I mean, you know, and having, you know, my kids are grown, but, you know, I mean, having, you know, daughters and sons that are there, you know, and, and having, you know, grandchildren that are getting into those, you know, school ages and stuff like that, that's a great point to make, you know, just for our listeners and, uh, you know, we're in 53 countries, and I mean, I, I think, because you know, it applies worldwide to anywhere, it doesn't make a difference, and, and correct me again if I'm wrong, it doesn't make a difference in your money zone of if you're in the poorest neighborhoods or the richest neighborhoods, because they all have, you know, all these things happening, correct?
1: Ab- absolutely. So so what we found is that over looking at hundreds and thousands of, of criminal cases, that people, when they're victimized, they're really influenced by their situation, their location, or their circumstances. And so, you know, you you and I are, are uh, we might have really low-risk lives, but if all of a sudden you're driving down the freeway and you break down in a bad part of town and you have to hump it from your car to the gas station because your cell phone isn't working, uh, all of a sudden your circumstance changes your risk level dramatically. You would never be in that neighborhood under normal circumstances. You wouldn't go and hang out down in that part of town where, where so many things happen. But all of a sudden something happens that changes your circumstance where if you'd have thought ahead and thought, is my car, is my battery charged? Do I have fuel? Have I got good tires? You know, things like that. We can, we can look at and reduce our risk.
0: It's funny you said that one night my oldest son and I are out and turn around, I said, you know, several years ago, and he come to visit me on the West Coast and, oh, Pops, we can make it in the rental car. We can make it, you know, to this. Well, you know what? We went past that. And then suddenly we get into an industrial area that's not so friendly looking. And we're like, man, there's two gas stations and the rest of them are closed and all the businesses are closed. And it was one of those things that I'm like, dude, well, we just read the next day that there was a shooting at the gas station we almost went to. And like within like twenty minutes of us going to that, we went to the other one instead, just by happen, just by happenstance. Good Lord, looking after me, I take it that way. And we said, ah, we'll take that one instead of this one. And there was a big shooting at the other gas station. Had we gotten gassed ten miles before that, we'd have kept on going. Yep, there you go. Amazing. So exactly what you said. Exactly. Hey, man, let's not push it besides it's a rental, so we don't know how well. You might know your car. It's how I can make it 25 more miles or whatever. Still get the gas in half-empty, half half-full, as I say. You know, so I mean, uh, yep, that's kind of the deal. So I, I agree with that. And putting yourself in those kind of circumstances, obviously, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't you get a flat or whatever. You have to do the best you can. But, you know, the things you can eliminate, like the colleges, like, like, like you said, at night like the going out when you're leaving work, you know, yeah, ask the security guard or whatever to, Hey man, walk you out to your car. Don't be a big shot. You know, don't be a big shot. And, and it is, you know, I think that some of those things are very, uh, that's, that's great advice to do because you can eliminate that factor, or at least put a hamper on it. That maybe it's like an alarm on a car or an alarm on your house. If they really want to get in, they can get in, but at least it's a deterrent that might send seven out of 10 people away. Right. Yeah,
1: no, you're, you're, dead on. In fact, you made me think just uh, a few weeks ago, my wife called me and I was out of town and she said, I just had a flat and she was in an area that wasn't that great. And she said, uh, I pulled into a gas station and the uh, air compressor's not working at the gas station. And it was one of those where the person's locked in the glass cubicle. And and, uh, she said, what do I do? And I said, drive home. And she said, the tire's flat. I said, I can afford a tire. But I can't afford to have you sitting out on the side of that road there, and, uh, and so sometimes we have to also say, okay, what's what's the uh, worst that happens by some of these decisions that I make? <clears throat> if it boils down, you got to fix a tire, fix a tire, you know, pay for a new tire.
0: Exactly, exactly. Keep a couple cans of fix-a-flat in the back, fill that thing up, and do the best you can, and hopefully get you home. And you know, and and deal with either either way. It's a lot better than the other. You know, you can you can exactly. You can, I, I I can pay one hundred fifty dollars for a tire. Can't replace the misses. You know, I mean. uh <laughs> There you go. You know, I mean, <laughs> unless you really don't like her that much, you know. I mean, you know. I mean, and I, I mean that in fun. You know, I mean, you know, but you know, but no, that that's a great that's a great point on that part. So tell me about your podcast, buddy.
1: So you know, we, we've got uh, two podcasts. One one is called Mapping Evil with Mike King, and it actually kicked off from some uh, friends of mine in Australia who wanted to, to uh, uh, do a little podcast about a serial killer in America and a serial killer in Australia, and then talk about um, how mapping could have been used to understand the, the way in which they did things. We, we put this thing out, and it went just crazy in Southeast Asia. Why, I'm not exactly sure, but we ended up doing Uh, Nine episodes. I just signed to do another season on it.
0: Nice.
1: Uh, And uh, it's it's a really fun one. I'm 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 teamed up with a a, an Australian broadcaster who is just incredibly quirky and and just a blast to be with. She's just amazing. And uh, and we we work through those cases and some really cool things have happened as a result of that where we've received. Information from people that we've been able to pass on to law enforcement and see some differences. And then, in concert with our, our Profiling Evil YouTube channel, we decided to do a Profiling Evil podcast, and, and both are available on any podcast platform. But right. the cool thing about that is we, we just talk about different kinds of things. For instance, uh, just a few weeks ago, I, I interviewed the uh, women who, in if you watch the Netflix show on Sister Catherine uh, Sesnick, the nun who was murdered, uh, it was called The Keepers. Uh, we we just got on and we talked about how they, as uh, now senior citizens, decided they were going to try to figure out who killed the nun that was their their uh, prep school. Uh, teacher. Uh, and, and we explore how they have done things and what, what they've done. But sometimes we talk about pretty weighty subjects. Other times we just do kind of like you and I are doing and We start laughing and and uh, we just go completely down a different pathway. But we try to keep it just a little different than the YouTube channel, which is there to focus on unsolved cases and talk about those and bring them to light and, uh, and then talk about the work that law enforcement's doing.
0: Well, I'll tell you, my friend. Definitely on that part of it, and I, I, would definitely love to have you back to get into a whole other part on that as well. If if you'll be kind enough to come back another day, because it oh, be, it'd be, be awesome my honor. Um, but now you know, and, and as far as doing these things, I mean, you know, man, the idea. First of all, I think the Australian thing is fantastic because there's things that maybe people don't see. And do you think that the internet? I say the internet like an odd, like an odd car or something like that. You know, back maybe you know before the internet was hot. If somebody had a, you know, a 53 Corvette, you might think there's only seven of them on the planet. Then all of a sudden the internet comes around and you say, well, there's 77 of them on the planet. Do you feel that that, that's kind of affected the same thing with uh, serial killers that were actually, because what is it like, supposedly there's between like 1,300 and 1,500 serial killers any time in North America going on? Is that somewhere like a correct (laughs) number? Uh, You know what? I don't know the number, but here's
1: some numbers that I do know, and that is that, In America alone, and it's consistent across uh, major jurisdictions across the globe, um, there are 875,000 people who go missing every single year. Now, the Bureau of Justice tracks those people, and on average, about 87% of them will finally come home. Maybe they went to Vegas, got mad, and wanted to spend a weekend away or something. Right. But um, that leaves 104,000 people, more people than in most of our cities in America, right. that disappear and are never heard from again every single year. Year and uh, and so when those people are disappearing, you have to think: what are the reasons? Because with social media, the way it is today, in the '60s, I could say, okay, you could disappear and become a dark ghost. Right. Today, with social media, with with banking, everything, I just don't think it's as possible as it used to be. And yet, still, 104,000 people disappear. There's got to be a reason for some of those. Now, in America. Um, I would say we have more serial killers responsible for some of those missing people than we want to attribute. The number, I really don't know, but I think it is consistent around the world and probably greater in third world countries where there's just no accountability.
0: You know, yeah, definitely, without a doubt there, I think it's probably, the numbers are probably way, 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 way beyond uh, You know what we could imagine probably in, in third world countries. But here, like, like like you said, I mean, you know, to be... Because it could be your next-door neighbor or whatever. Like you said, the guy who's helping you with your tire. You know, your wife, wife gets a flat tire. And you go, hey, man, you know, I, I saw your husband at home changes a tire for you. Nicest guy in the world. Then all of a sudden, boom, you know, you don't know if he's serving you in the soup. You know, I mean, you know, and I, I say that in tongue-in-cheek, but you know what I'm saying. I don't... I said that lightly, you know. But you don't well, do Oh, yeah, well, you know, from, from close
1: to your neck of the woods, I mean, in... In Wichita, when they had the BTK killer who went by bind him, torture him, kill, Dennis right. Rader, here's a guy who is uh, an alderman in the church, he's he's uh, hanging out, people are thinking what a great guy he is, and he spends decades getting away with it until he's finally captured for murdering so many people. And, uh, and I mean, this is the devil reincarnate, and yet he puts on these these sheep's clothing.
0: Have you ever seen anybody that you've interviewed that you think has changed, rehabilitated, or anything I think, else like that? I think
1: prison. I think prison changes nearly every one of them while they're in prison. But um, I, th- I think when you when you are committing crimes like serial sexual crimes. Um, I, I think that's pretty hard to get out of someone's system. When there's someone who lives by the credo that uh, power, dominion, and control is what's important, humiliating people, uh, th- those kinds of people, uh, in my opinion, don't change. And and the only thing that has changed is we've taken away their ability to commit crime. And when they return to society, especially if they return into a community that they left the same friends, the same kinds of stressors. No mm-hmm. money. Need to make some money. That, that I think there's a real strong propensity to reoffend. Now, s- some experts say the numbers aren't as great as others do, and that it might be as low as 25% reoffend. Well, if that 25% is uh, serial killers or serial sexual predators, that's a that's a horrible thing to release on a public.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean that that that's like saying you're going to take the chance for dude to adjust your back, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not sure if you I'm take tell you. That. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm ready to take that chance whether it be your back or mine, buddy. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's Yeah, I, 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 there's there's a serial killer who's up in Montana. He's uh, actually transported from another state and doing his time in Montana. And I interviewed him uh, with uh, Greg Cooper, my buddy, and and we had gotten him to talk about eight women that he had murdered, and and he was one of those in that study that preferred elderly women, and I remember at one point I said, so if you got out of prison today, what would you do? And his whole demeanor changed, and he said, I'd find an old lady. I mean, that's all he could think about, that was all he fantasized about, and for him, there was no turning back. That was what he did. Another predator who was responsible for 85 rapes in 11 Western states that I actually interviewed a few weeks ago said to me, "I'm better off being locked up because I won't be the person that I know I'll be if I get released." So you have to you have to take those kinds of things into account and what a burden that places on a parole board or on a correctional system or on the courts. To try to guess which ones are safe to release, and which ones
0: aren't. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I. I that. That's a. Yeah. That's a. That, that's for damn sure on that part. You know. Are are most of these people and I, I'm that you've interviewed at least or you've experienced? Are most of these people like like Charlie Manson? You know, Charlie Manson had. I'm not giving him any excuse, but Charlie Manson had a pretty rough upbringing. Okay. You know, from what it was, is it like one of uh, most of these people have been abused and all these other things as it is, or, or they come from good lives or is there a percentile wise of, uh, you know, 75% of them have been abused or beaten or whatever themselves, or is it, you know, are the numbers, you know, high on that part to the guys who commit these crimes or girls?
1: You know, I've actually, I've actually looked at that a little bit. It's kind of interesting because, um, I, I do think people that, that uh, have some of these issues do have challenges like that in their background. I like to kind of twist it a little bit, and again, I'll, I'm gonna go back to your mom and my mom. Yeah. There, there was no democracy in my family when we were growing up. You know, you, right. you did what you were told to do, and and uh, and while there may have just been a mother there, there there was an iron fist that was at the end of that mother's hand, and, and you knew what the rules were, and you abided by them. Now, as you got older, you tested the water, and you probably snuck out and did a few things. But here's the difference between uh, that kid that's doing a little bit of misspent youth and a predator. The predator knows that something is against the law, physically, sexually, uh, assaulting someone, murdering someone. They know that it's against society standards, but they choose to do it anyway. And, the, and, and so they can claim that you know I wasn't I didn't get warm cookies when I came home from school right. or uh, you know or I, I uh, fight because I have Irish blood in me they can do all kinds of things that they can say are the reason why but the bottom line is they still knew like you and I do what society standards are and they chose to violate
0: them and and that's the difference so so you, I mean and, and, you know and a lot of us have our yeah, my mom had no problem sparing a rod. You know where she spared it. You know I, mean? So, I mean, you know, but but at the same and, and yeah, and, and I can sit there and I can whine and cry about all these things that happened to me as a kid or whatever else it is. And those are no excuses for me to go out and hurt somebody. You know, no matter what, no matter how you put it, that is no way to whether you're physically, sexually abused or whatever else. It's no no excuse for you to go out and cause pain to somebody else. So in, in my opinion, and in, no, you
1: are you are dead on.
0: You know, so but so with with some of these people have have you know the the difference is is that you know like people said that you know Charlie Manson was crazy you know that, that that's defines crazy's a, a, a an avenue to go down and I mean you know and crazy and genius and all those things are all avenues that you can be intelligent as can be but be an idiot all at the same time um, but is there an area there that you look at and you say hmm. This person's, per se, not wrapped too tight beyond, you know, are, are they legitimately <laughs> crazy or are they using it to dumb like a fox crazy?
1: You know, I don't know if you're following the uh, Daybell case in Idaho of the two children that were murdered by her, their mother, and and her soon-to-become husband, uh, but that's part of the question there. She is now uh, deemed incompetent stand trial and is been sent to the state mental hospital to be evaluated Someone asked me the other day, is she crazy? Well, I I, I would just twist that a little bit and say you would, in my opinion, have to be mentally ill to take someone's life. What becomes more important to me is the behavior that's exhibited during that. For instance, this, this group believed that people were turning into zombies and they they, if, if they really believed that and killed these children because they were zombies, I think they would be standing on the rooftops saying, hello world, we saved you again, we killed another zombie. But instead, what they did is they buried them in a backyard, they hit them, and they went away and told people that the kids were staying with relatives and never mentioned it. So as you start to look at the behavior of these people, whether they're mentally ill or not, and then, whether they understand it's wrong, then you can look at that and say, well, you're right, you might be crazy, but you still knew it was wrong and you chose to do it.
0: Right. That's a couple of the ones that went to Hawaii, right? Then they brought them back, right? That's correct, yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I watched you talking about the show, talking about it on your show. And uh, I love your show, by the way, because you sit there and you really cover a lot of, on Profiling Evil, you really cover a lot of... Um, details and i love the idea when you sit there said you know that one psychiatrist or psychologist i forget which one it was had detailed that she she that she wasn't playing completely you know even and but at the same time look some of these people know exactly what to say how to play the system some of them they've studied it some of them just know it and they're very coy and uh you know, I use the example of, of the girl that I can't think of her name that drove her kids into the river, and it breaks my heart every time I talk about it. But um, um, Yeah, Mary uh, Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smith. yeah and, and, and I sit there and I look at that and I go, man, there's just nothing, no one I could love enough, no one I could want to be with enough to, you know, to hurt my children like that. I don't give a damn who you are. So you have to kind of be crossing some type of line. But is it selfishness? Is it, it, it just somewhere along the way, temporary insanity? That doesn't buy it for me. Temporary insanity is when you know what? Somebody comes in your house and you unload on them, you know, and say, hey, man, look, you know, and even, though, even, even when they're dead because they were trying to hurt your family, you're still sitting there kicking and the, putting the boots to them because you thought they were going to hurt your family. That's maybe uh you know yeah. you, you got you went off the wall for a minute because you were scared and and, and panicking because you know your family or loved ones or somebody were going to be hurt. That might be a step off the wall. You know, temporary insanity. That oh well, look, I drove my kids off the river. or Whatever else it is, I'm sorry. That's not. There's nothing. There's nothing right about that.
1: Yeah, that that uh, you're right, and boy, that was that was a tragic case, and uh, and you couldn't you couldn't argue that that was crazy.
0: You know, do you ever?
1: Look it was at the, still calculated.
0: Uh, absolutely. Do you ever look at the? Do you ever try to play devil's advocate on this part? You know, it's like playing yourself at chess, Mike, and sit there and say, you go on the other side of the board. You say, okay, look, you know, let me let me try to play their game and try to make any you know head heads or tails sense of it to to kind of really balance it out. Do you ever try that?
1: Yeah, I, I actually remember uh, one one of the experts who worked with Ted Kaczynski a lot. I remember him saying, uh, he, he was talking to him, and he looked at him like you don't even get what I'm saying, do you? And he finally, uh, Kaczynski said, "This doesn't make sense to you, doesn't it? Does it?" And he, he said, "No, it doesn't." And he leaned forward and he said, "It makes perfect sense to me." And so we we have to think about the fact that while it might not make sense to us. As we start to understand things, like what was motivating them? Why did they pick that particular victim? Why did they say the things or have the victim say things back to them in a particular order? It, it makes no sense to you and me, but to them it makes perfect sense. And all of a sudden you can start to see this painting kind of unravel and become clear.
0: You know, there's, there's uh, did you ever see that TV show Lie to Me with uh, Tim Roth? It was Dr. Paul Ekman, you know, this kind of story on things, and there's a, there's this great scene in one of the TV, uh, one of his episodes where he has a psychopath on there, and a psychopath sits there and says, well, he's five years old, his sister falls into the pool, and he sits there and he looks at me he says, did you hate your sister? He said, no. He said, well, why'd you let her drown? He says, because I wanted her bike.
1: Yeah. You know what? There you go, and I'm going to give you a real life, a real life example. I, I one of these serial killers that took preferential elderly victims. Uh, one particular night, uh, I was interviewing him, and we had been in probably four hours of interviews, and we were just wrapping up, and we went through this same thing about it doesn't make sense to me. Right, and he said, he says, let me put this to you, to you this way. He said, let's say that I. Uh, hate my brother-in-law. Then he wow. paused and he said, which incidentally I do. And he said, um, "Let's. so let's say I hate my brother-in-law, but I love my mother. But my mother loves my brother-in-law. And the only thing I want to do is kill my brother-in-law. But I know that it will break my mother's heart if I do that. How do I solve this dilemma? And I'm going to put that in your... your a uh, lap there,
0: Doc. <laughs> Thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate that, Mike. <laughs> Damn. Uh, that that's that's the logic, I, I think the logic is the precursor is do a lot of these people that you've interviewed, have they showed this from time like this this these ideologies of time? You know, from like is it is it like a fifth grade thing like this like the example I gave? Or is it like the example of yours as an adult? Or has it followed, has a has behavior been a precursor all the way through?
1: You know, um, may, maybe both is the safer answer, although um, my wife is a was a school teacher, and she told me when she was teaching first grade what children would be problematic uh, when they were adults. And we never talked about it, because obviously a teacher doesn't do that, and you don't want to label a kid. Right. But those early behaviors were uh, carried through throughout a life and, and became only more egregious as time went on.
0: And sometimes, so. it's a, excuse me, isn't it sometimes a matter of also triggers, something that happens, uh, the anniversary of a death or something or something like that, that triggers some of these people that sets them off in uncertain circumstances, right?
1: A- absolutely, yeah.
0: Man, that that is, you know, you've absolutely been uh, such a pleasure on this part. Tell me about the book real quick. Do we have an idea when it's going to be out?
1: Deceived is out. You can you can get Deceived, an investigative memoir of the Zion Society cult on Amazon, uh, or you can go to profilingevil.com. We we put for the worldwide audience paperback on Amazon, and uh, and then if you'd like a hardbound copy, including if you'd like one signed, you can go to profilingevil.com. The book is is chronicling the case, and I didn't go into the disgusting nature of the case. What I wanted to do is focus on what the characteristics were of cult grooming and what people were uh, convinced to believe in. And then I wanted to talk about the resilience of these children who became uh, these amazing adults. Uh, What really happened that was intriguing is about Two years ago, I received a call from two of the victims, independent of each other, not even realizing that the other had reached out, asking for help in understanding some of the memories they were fighting with this many years later. I declined to talk to them because I didn't want to revisit the book and I couldn't get the kids out of my mind. And I finally called them back and we put together a phone call where we brought the victims together on a Zoom call first time they had seen each other in 30 years from the time they were rescued until that moment. And it was the most amazing experience for me as I listened to them, some screaming like sailors and, and cussing and others crying and others laughing. And um, as we talked, I pulled up the search warrant video from the day we served the search warrant. We used 70 police officers wow. on the day we used hit the search warrant to hit all the homes in the compound at once. And uh, And as I went through video from the search warrant, it was incredible to see them uh, talk about things that they were seeing, but when we got to the bedrooms where they were assaulted, I remember one victim in particular who completely lost it, and we stopped the call. and And, uh, and the the reality of how horrid that thing was was there. The book doesn't dis- explore the ugliness uh, outside of saying that they were assaulted, and then talks about the behaviors and the manipulation. And uh, things like that but uh, and then to just cap it off I just, uh, I was just so thrilled because Dr. Phil invited me to come out and talk about the book i had been on his show two or three times before that and so I thought we were just gonna chat about the book and I showed up and for the first time in 30 years I got to meet the kids he'd invited the victims to the show and uh, if you look up uh, Dr. Phil and Zion Society you can see that but uh, the, the book chronicles that. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is the proceeds from the book. We just recently uh, made a donation to the Victims' Rights Coalition for training of police officers in serial sexual crimes. And we uh, made a donation to start seed money for the creation and building of a brand new Children's Advocacy Center in northern Utah. So we're, we're thrilled to see the money going there rather than uh, a, a big ribeye steak on vacation somewhere. So it's been really gratifying.
0: Congratulations on that, man. That is incredible. I mean, that's awesome. You make sure, please, you text me the addresses to them afterwards, for the email addresses. If people want to help out those organizations, I'll make sure to put it on the uh, tag for the interview as well
1: that'd be wonderful
0: absolutely pal absolutely on that i mean that's fantastic and i love the idea that you know you 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 know it's funny when you get along with these things at the colts you know everybody thinks that they're too smart to fall into these but and, and i'm going to make this short because i know we're way over time and i appreciate your indulgence thank you um but there's a lot of intelligent people that fall for these cults, right
1: Oh absolutely, and you know when I first started looking at cults in 1990, I thought uh, these are they, these groups are recruiting idiots to right. come into them. Absolutely not. They don't want the liability of an idiot or someone who doesn't have money just so they can have another number and a mouth to feed. They want successful people that are going to continue to fund them the leader. These destructive cults are all about the leader, and they have this ca- uncanny ability to pull in, in many cases, incredibly intelligent people, and uh, and we see that happening, especially uh, as of late, when we've seen things like Nixium and others, where where really influential, powerful people have have pulled into these kinds of things. So it, it's 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 different from cult to cult. In the Zion Society, they were people of a like mindset that were end of world doomsdayers, and they found each other, and somehow. These, these ment- mentalities somehow find each other and migrate to each other and form these. The experts say there are as many as 6,000 cults uh, going on at
0: any time. So I was just going to ask you, uh, and don't get me wrong, because, because uh, look, I'm a huge prepper guy. I love to be prepared for everything. But, but at the same time, there's an idea of being properly prepared for things and being intelligent to, to all of a sudden, I'm not selling everything I have to buy five mountains either.
1: You know? there you go Uh-oh. yeah that's the difference between being prepared and paranoid isn't it
0: right exactly but six thousand Colts at any time I was gonna ask you that I figured maybe thousand 1,500. man that is crazy yeah
1: it, it, it is and and uh and they some are very small now some experts could say a sports team could be cultish behavior but when we talk Colts we really talk these destructive cults that that control people's lives and destroy lives.
0: Yeah, I'm not talking about uh, Philadelphia Eagles or the Flyers or the Dallas Cowboys or somebody saying oh man you know, I bleed blue and you know silver or whatever. We're not talking about that per se, but I understand the psychological idea of the ideology saying that well, you know, they 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 you know, they'll, they'll walk 50 miles to go to the football game. I understand that. We're talking about the real harm to people and everything else and it's scary i again it's another subject i would love to have you on with because the 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 idea of disappearance every day of people the the cult situations that it are because i know so many young people that kind of are very intelligent that are very vulnerable to falling under these things and older people too you know you know that aren't just teenagers or in their 20s or whatever that I think that, you know, with shows like yourself coming on, people, guests like yourself coming on and sharing some of these things, saying, look, you know, these, again, are very charming, very uh, well-spoken, well-dressed, successful people most of the time coming, and, and they're grooming you or selling to you these stories, right? Yes, you're right. Yeah. Now, where can everybody find you on social media, buddy?
1: At Profiling Evil. Uh, one word at profiling evil. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty simple and, uh, that'll get you YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'd have to ask my kids what other stuff I'm really into. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I understand that. And, and where can we buy the book? Uh,
1: again, Amazon, uh, anywhere worldwide, you can get uh, Deceived through Amazon or go to profilingevil.com if you'd like the hardbound version and you'd like to get it signed, there's an option for doing that as well. And, uh, and we'll be rolling out, uh, we're going we're gonna, to, on August 1st-ish, we're going to roll out a podcast on the Zion Society, uh, which will be the 30th anniversary of the Raid.
0: Man, it has been such a pleasure having you on. I mean, man, you know, it really is. Honestly, I was looking so forward to this, and I was listening to some of your interview, some of your podcast interviews, and and some of your podcasts have gone over things. And I love the details you're going over things. You give an opinion, and I like that. But you you look at you give a lot of sides, so you make people think. And I really like that idea that you kind of lay it out there, and you think, well, like with this case you were just talking about in Idaho. He said, you know, do you think that with this one psychiatrist or psychologist, whichever one it was, uh, you know, done this, then they're going to have her evaluated somewhere else. Do you have an idea where you think they're going to go with that real quick?
1: You know, I, well, we know that she'll go to um, a state-run mental health facility. In 90 days, Lori Daybell will reappear in the court and the court will hear from the medical experts to see if she is then ready. It's, it's a restoration process, they call it, so they want to see if she can help in her own defense and help uh, in preparation for her defense. If in 90 days she's not found or deemed to be competent, then the clock spins to 180 days, and, uh, and then they'll have six months to, to work on her again but because there is no um, insanity plea in Idaho she's never going to be off the hook she's going to eventually have to face prosecution
0: oh really i didn't know that no kidding yeah wow there's no i didn't know there wasn't an, no insanity plea in Idaho that's amazing <clears throat> um do you think do you, so you think regardless she's going to have to pay the piper sooner or later
1: well, you know, you'd think that, but how long has John Hinckley been sitting, uh, waiting to be prosecuted? Or Susan Smith's another example, the woman you talked about that drowned her children. It took me a minute to remember her first name. Susan Smith. I think she's, she's still, yeah, I think she's still sitting on uh, a competency issue. So, uh, you know, so um, Lori's been pretty good at, at uh, avoiding a lot of stuff. She, she may be in a uh, secure mental health facility for a long time right. Now, <clears throat> now I'm Those play children a, sure deserve better, though.
0: Well, yeah, I understand that. Um, now I'm going to play a quick game where you real quickly indulge me, so it is. we just kind of do it with all our guests, so just throw out you a couple quick questions, answer them out, and then I'll get you out of here for you. Okay, so <laughs> on, on, on a day, steak or lobster?
1: Oh, steak, without question. Ribeye, too. More fat, <laughs> the better.
0: <laughs> just had one of those the other night, brother. I hear you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Horror or comedy? Oh, comedy. Every day. <laughs> Got a favorite?
1: Uh, well, I, I'm still stuck in the early Saturday Night Live days of the, the, the meat wagon and other kinds of things. So, <laughs> Okay, cool. <laughs> I,
0: I, I can get dinner and dancing or a movie.
1: Oh, a movie without question.
0: <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right, cool. Now I'm gonna give you. Now you give me one out here for all your comic book fans: Superman or Batman?
1: Uh, without question, Superman. Uh, why? Well, number one, he's the Man of Steel. He comes from space. He he's wholesome. If you believe the new Batman videos, then uh, he had that dark side to him that you know just never fit this this great superhero of Superman and you have the ability to do not only x-ray vision, but with your eyeballs, you can send laser beams out to burn stuff. How cool is that?
0: (laughs) I'm with you on that. You know, like, like they said, the justice league, what makes you a superhero? He said, he's filthy rich. Yeah. So I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) And he's still kind of clumsy with his toys. You know, (laughs) I uh, I, I love that. I appreciate you playing along, my friend. Uh, you know, thank you so much. Again, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, go check out Profiling Evil everywhere. Mike King, it has been an absolute blast, man. Thank you so much. Please come back on again.
1: Oh, you, you make the phone call. I'll be back. Will you come and do choir practice one night? <laughs> oh, man. Hey, this has got you concerned now. <laughs> Let me tell you what choir practice is. I'm
0: sweating. So I, I'm sweating the- this can be my brother. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, Lifebox <laughs> it- Media Channel, radio podcast, Profiling Evil. Check it out everywhere. Mike King, check out his book also. We are out.